Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 84 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peak, MUFON field investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. And we are continuing this month our celebration of women in the field with special guest Kelly Chase. She is an author, podcaster, and UFO researcher, and a media consultant. We'll be talking about how she got into the field, her podcast, and her new book series. So with that being said, strap on your seatbelts, we're going for a ride. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 84 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peak, MUFON field investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. And today's episode is sponsored by KMP Expressive Events. If you're looking to hold any kind of event, conference, party, whatever it may be, um, they make the entire process extremely easy. Um, I've used them, so I can tell you from experience. If you'd like to check them out, you can get their Facebook page or you can see them at our um, official website, ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. Um, today, we are continuing our celebration of women in the field, and today we have special guest, Kelly Chase. Kelly, welcome to the show. Hi, Jesse. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I've been seeing you doing a lot of good work in the field and uh, on social media with your posts, and uh, I couldn't have think of somebody else to, good to have on for women in the field. So thank you for coming on. Thank you so much, and thank you for doing this, for celebrating women in the field. Um, there are so many incredible women doing really cool work, and um, I caught some of your earlier episodes, and this is great. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to get more women in, into the field. When I get my stats every month on my podcast, the difference between men and women are, like, really different, you know? It's, like, 80% men, and I get, like, a 15% women that listen to the, to the podcast. So trying to get more people involved and uh, kind of highlight what the women are doing in the field. So um, it's great to have you on and be doing this. Um, so I guess let's start uh, how you got into the field. Was it a sighting or an experience or was this something that was just a hobby for you? So what's really interesting is that um, like exactly two years ago today, I didn't believe in UFOs and they were not on my radar really? on, on any level. Yeah, it was right around this time two years ago that I started just paying attention to the news stories. I was a little behind on all that. Um, I had been traveling for a few years, so I was really unplugged from the news and not really super <laughs> clued into what was going on. Um, but around this time, um, you know, my life started to slow down a little bit. I started to pay attention and I was really intrigued because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting when the government says, yes, we have videos of UFOs and th those are real. Um, and we don't know what they are. And so I had, when I was, although I, I wasn't very interested in UFOs, I had actually had a UFO encounter when I was 13. And I was at the Outer Banks on vacation and I saw a light up in the sky. I was sitting out on the deck at night and I had this weird feeling, which I found out much later is something that's very common. I had this very weird feeling that if I looked up at that moment that I would see a UFO, which was strange because that's not a thought that I had probably ever had before. And I looked up and I saw this bright light moving very quickly across the sky. And it took two very quick right angle turns and then shot off like past the horizon. It looked like a meteor taking off. Um, 
it was a really, it, it, was, it was a really surprising thing, but you know, I went inside, I told my family, I told my friends and everybody just laughed at me and thought that I was being ridiculous. And so, although I knew what I had saw, I think like so many other people, I kind of just pushed that thought away and didn't really think about it much after that. But I was around the time I started paying attention to the news was right around the time that um, I was about to go back to the Outer Banks with my family as kind of a getaway after COVID. And I thought, well, this is a great opportunity. I had got this whole week off. I hadn't taken a vacation in forever. And I decided that I was going to spend this week trying to crack the case, <laughs> to figure <laughs> out what was going on with UFOs. That's in awesome. And uh, <laughs> as you might imagine, I failed. Um, but I, I got obsessed. So it kind of brought me to where I, where I am now. Okay. So, so that's actually pretty interesting because I had one when I was young too, and I really didn't think nothing of it. Um, I kind of explained it away as Santa Claus, you know, cause it was kind of, it was on Christmas Eve when I had mine. Um, so you don't really think of it as a UFO at that time when you're that young, you know, um, I didn't anyway. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's funny how that worked out. Um, so you're doing, you're almost coming up on your, when you're during your first year for the UFO rabbit hole podcast. Um, how did the inspiration come up for that? Was it something that you wanted to just bring people on and learn about the phenomenon or, or what exactly? Yeah. So I had, for me, the recognition, once I dug into it and I realized that there was a there there and I realized that this phenomenon was real, um, it, it, it changed me. It changed me on a really deep level because it, number one, um, I think that just the, the humbling of that experience to recognize that I had spent my entire life thinking that this was just ridiculous and that I had never actually looked into it myself. And so when I did look into it myself and I realized that there was so much evidence, um, it was really humbling. And it, and it, it made me want to explore further. And it also made me want to continue to challenge my beliefs and assumptions and to not just write things off, to really try to do the investigation and the research myself until I felt like I had a grasp on what was going on. Um, and, and that had, and it was really interesting about that is that it changed me in a lot of other ways as well. That's hard to explain. I think that I, um, recognizing that there's this sort of mysterious unseen dimension to life that we don't necessarily understand um, really opened me back up to some things that I hadn't felt or considered for a long time. I had, I had as an adult been a strict atheist and a strict materialist up until, you know, two years ago. And this really changed that for me um, because I started seeing the world really differently. And it made me it was really interesting. I felt like it was really challenging and I felt like it also made me happier. And so I wanted to share this. And um, I came from a marketing background. I've spent the last 15 years um, working in marketing and building that career. And uh, you know, I was a marketing director and I was on the CMO track and I really identified with my career and I was one of those workaholics and that was all I cared about. And suddenly all of that changed. Um, and what I found was that I suddenly really wanted to use all of these skills that I had developed over the years for something more meaningful. And I couldn't think of anything more important than this topic. And I also became aware as I was doing the research that it's really hard to get into this topic because there aren't a lot of um, really obvious on-ramps. 
especially for people who maybe haven't even had an encounter and don't even know where to start. It's, it's hard to find a place where you can sort of start at the beginning. Right. And so I really wanted to create that kind of a resource because that's the sort of thing I've been doing for years. I've been creating training courses and working in content. And my whole life is in my career was really about how do you craft the right message to meet the right pe- the audience you're trying to reach right where they are so that you can actually influence them in some way. And so that's what I tried to create was something that would make it really easy for people to access these ideas and to begin to explore them themselves. And it really kind of just took off from there. It's been an absolute passion project. I didn't think anyone would ever listen or care. Um, <laughs> I did it just because I really wanted to. And it's it's been really gratifying to have people respond to it the way they have. That's awesome. Um, so, um, you know, have you, I mean, who were some of your uh, favorite guests that you've had on to actually talk about the phenomenon with on your podcast, on your show? Oh, gosh. So I recently had um, Dr. Diana Walsh-Pasolka. That's awesome. Um, she has, she's amazing. And she, um, I'm such an admirer of hers and such a fan of her work. And I've been so lucky that she has um, been so supportive of the podcast and of me. Um, I find her to be, I think her work is, as much as it's really appreciated in the field, I think in some ways it's still misunderstood. I don't, I think that um, there's a deeper level to what she's saying that people maybe aren't quite ready to address yet. Um, but I think she's absolutely brilliant and moving things forward in a way that absolutely blows my mind. Um, and this last week, I just had uh, Dr. Ia Whiteley, who is an extraordinarily accomplished space psychologist who works with astronauts and military pilots. Um, she is also working on the UAP Human Factors Task Force, um, and she is working also on a, a really innovative new form of communication that she's calling an Earth language um, that could potentially serve as a modality for people to interact with non-human intelligences, whether that be, you know, a dolphin or maybe something else. And so I just find her to be absolutely fascinating. Those are probably two of my favorites and I'll stick with the women since we're celebrating yeah, the women in ufology today. <laughs> so, <laughs> so can you explain the first thing that you said that she was doing a little more? Like what exactly is that? This, oh, that she's a space psychologist? Uh, no, you said she was doing a program about um, UAPs. The first thing she was, the project she has. Yes, yeah. The, so the UAP um, Human Factors Task Force. Yes. Um, I'll tell you as much as I know. Um, I don't. I don't know a ton. I don't know everything about it. Um, but it is a task force that's being put together with um, a whole bunch of different experts from all kinds of different fields. So, like Ia works in um, space psychology and cognitive engineering and that sort of thing. And so she comes at it, and she also played a huge role in changing the shame and blame culture in the aviation industry that made it a lot easier for pilots to um, kind of report things that are going wrong and make the best choices based on what they thought was the right thing to do. Um, And it's really, it's made huge demonstrable strides in terms of improving safety for airlines. And so, um, you know, one of the contributions that she's making with the UAP uh, Human Factors Task Force is you know, bringing that level of expertise to make recommendations around, you know, how do we improve reporting 
um, for military pilots and for astronauts and for people who, you know, they're up in the sky, so they're more likely to have these kinds of encounters than the people down on the ground. So, you know, how do we make it easier for them to um, be honest about what they're, what's going on instead of feeling like they have to hide when something strange happens because people will think they're crazy. Um, okay. So there's a lot of different experts who are involved in this and they're tackling all different aspects of um, how do we basically interact, basically dealing with the reality of UFOs and, and creating the policies and structures moving forward for how we deal with this reality. That's great because for pilots, I mean, there's that stigma immediately, even for military personnel, because you don't know if you're going to get pushback. And then the other thing, the FAA made it so that pilots actually have to go to an outside source to report their sightings. So that kind of initiative is, that's something big. That's what we need. You know what I mean? Because we lose a lot of information and cases from pilots because they're worried about it and then they don't really know who to go and report to. So that's absolutely amazing. It's so cool. And she really is the person who kind of spearheaded that initiative in the commercial um, airline industry. And so she's really kind of the perfect person to be leading this charge um, yeah, in great. the UAP realm. Yeah, absolutely Very cool. great. Um, so you now also have one book out. Um, it's the uh, UFO rabbit hole book, and it's actually a part of a, a, a series. Is it a two book series? Because I know you have another book coming out as well. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the book in a lot of ways. So the book, book one is essentially the first 10 episodes of the podcast. Oh, okay. So I started doing. Yeah. So I've, I've started doing interviews because um, I quit my job officially back in January and this is full time. So I started um, incorporating interviews. Awesome. Before that, I was just doing like scripted stuff, um, which I'm still doing. But uh, I was just putting out episodes when I could because I was a marketing director and sometimes it would take me, you know, eight weeks to, <laughs> to actually get something out. <laughs> um, but I'm on a regular weekly schedule now. So um, anyway, so I basically I know that podcasts aren't for everyone, which is crazy because I listen to them constantly, but not everyone does. And I just wanted to create a way for people who are maybe not listening to podcasts or if someone's a listener, but they want to try to share it with somebody who doesn't listen, um, that they would have that resource. And some people just prefer books. So I put that out with the first, the first 10 episodes. And then um, as I finish up season one, which I thought was going to be 20 episodes, but it just keeps growing. Um, I will finish that up and I may eventually um, put it all into one text. So, so we'll see, but I mean, the books are going to keep coming um, and I'm actually working this year. I'm going to be publishing for the first time. I'm, I'm not ready to share who it is yet, but there is someone who I've and I admire very much in the field and been working very closely with who will be publishing their book um, under the UFO rabbit hole. So my goal is actually to not just be publishing my books over the next year, but to start publishing books from other researchers, academics, scientists who are doing work in the field, um, you know, to really create kind of an entire library of resources for people. Yeah, that's great because I'm I'm a book lover. I have a mini library, so I love books. <laughs> so anytime I can get <laughs> something in paper, you know, I love the smell. I love having something physical that I can read. Um, so I think that's a that's a fabulous idea. And I never thought about having a book based off your podcast for every episode, which is pretty neat, you know. So that's really cool. Um, so uh, book two is coming out. You said in June of 2023. I heard right. Um, so is that off of new episodes that are coming out or, or episodes that have already been done? Yeah. So the one that's coming out, it, I may have to push it from June just because I've 
suddenly had the opportunity to add in some great new interviews that are taking up a little more time. Um, but it'll definitely come out this summer and that'll start with episode 11. Okay. okay. Um, and I'm on episode, I just released episode 20. So this will probably, there's probably like three or four more episodes that I need to get out. Probably actually more like five or six, if I'm being real. Um, so this summer, but as soon as those, I'm already compiling them into the book. And so as soon as I get through that, um, the book should be out shortly thereafter. So um, with, it's, if all goes according to plan this summer. Okay. Um, so is there anything that you're focusing on besides, um, besides the book? I know that's a lot of work too, um, that, you know, that you're really focusing your research on besides the book. Is there anything particular that, that really sticks out to you in this field that you're a go-getter about? Absolutely. Um, there's actually another book that I've been working on. It'll probably be a year or two, at least before it comes out, because it's a much more the, the books that I'm writing right now are in, in a lot of ways sort of a metasynthesis of the field. It's me kind of trying to take like all of what's out there and boil it down and make it accessible for people as kind of a jumping off point for their own research. Um, but the book, I'm also working on a book that will be my own unique contribution to the field. And the thing that I'm doing research on is, so because I have a marketing background, Something that I was immediately intrigued by was I ran across um, a video on YouTube with Jacques Vallée talking about how um, the phenomenon in many ways acts similarly toward, to consumer-facing algorithms. So the algorithms that are behind things like um, what web pages come up when you search in Google or what ads you're served um, when you're on websites or social media, and that you know, it creates these uncanny experiences for people um, in the way that, you know, like we are taught, you're maybe talking or even just thinking about something kind of random and obscure. And then all of a sudden you see an ad for it. And so people have this feeling that, you know, maybe my phone is listening to me, which is like, I think actually a really logical conclusion based on the evidence. Right? Absolutely. But I, yeah, but then as somebody who is worked in this field for a really long time, you know, the thing that I recognize is that um, the we are so unaware of how much of the data trail that we leave behind when we're online and how much these algorithms have access to every single little bit of data about us. And so in a way, um, your phone doesn't need to listen to you because the algorithm already knows so much and then has so much knowledge about people like you and people at your stage of life and people in your geographic region that it makes really good guesses about what you want um, in a way that can feel almost paranormal to people at times. And so I'm really intrigued by, by that, by the fact that um, I think it's meaningful that that happens. I think that, um, you know, something that's kind of at the basis of uh, Diana Pasolka's work and something that I've, I've heard her say multiple times is just that, you know, she believes that people are set up to have these kinds of experiences. Um, paranormal experiences and synchronicities and, you know, these meaningful kinds of moments that maybe don't fit in with our consensus reality, but that are really meaningful for the person and can send them in one direction or another in their life. Um, and I really, so I really want to study that. I want to understand more about how that works. I'm really, you know, in my work, I also did a lot with my teams. Um, all the teams that I trained, I would train them on the hero's journey because I've always sort of recognized the hero's journey and storytelling as being a 
kind of technology that when employed in a certain way can drive people to certain action. And I, I see a lot of parallels with that and how the phenomenon works. And so I really want to dive deeply into what that means and, and how that can be true. And I think that there's a lot of insight that we can gain into the phenomenon and how it works and also our consciousness and how it works. So right. that will be a really ambitious project that'll take me a couple of years, but I'm working on that right now. Now, do you have any any like examples that, that you know, like people that have actually had this happen to them um, in detail that you can tell us about? In terms of the consumer algorithms? Yeah, and in, 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 in like, for example, that, that a phenomenon, like a paranormal event happened to them because of this um, that you're talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's, so um, so it's not so much that they have a paranormal event as a result of, the, of it, but it feels meaningful in some way, the way that like a, a meaningful synchronicity or a paranormal event might feel to someone. Okay. Um, and so I think that we can like use that as a way to study because it's really hard to study the phenomenon directly. But if you can find something that kind of acts like the phenomenon, you might be able to draw insights or learn something more about it or do certain kinds of testing that might have now I got um, gotcha. you. Okay. Results. I didn't yeah. understand it fully. Now I got it. And I understand what you're saying now. That's that's great. That's a new way of looking at things. That's that's absolutely cool. I think that's awesome. Um so I guess let's go ahead and take our break right now. And uh when we get back, maybe we can talk about a little bit about the hearings that just happened on Wednesday. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Um, so we're going to have to take a break and we'll be back after these commercial messages. UFO Encounters Worldwide would like to present K&P Expressive Events, which is an event planning company serving Philadelphia and the tri-state area. They host new fun-themed events each month so if you love music, art, anime, or even UFOs, keep checking for our events each month, and we hope to see you there soon. Check the UFO Encounters Worldwide website in the events section for new events monthly from KMP Expressive Events. UFO Encounters Worldwide has an official website for the podcast. You can go to ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com to go check out our website. There's articles on the UFO phenomenon. You can follow my travels, see where I've been, and what conferences are coming up. That's again, ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. For the first time this year on May 20th, 2023, we'll be holding the first annual Philadelphia UFO Exposure Con. We have seven amazing speakers, including Joe Foster, Robert Spearing, George Filer, Frank Chili, Eric Mantell, Bill Burns, and Tom Carey. We'll also be holding a Q&A at the end of the day. We'll have dinner buffet, a light lunch hors d'oeuvres, book signings, merchandise, and a cash bar. So come on out on May 20th, 2023 from 12 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can order your tickets in the description of the episode below. We hope to see you there.
UFO Encounters Worldwide wants to hear from you. Have an experience or a sighting you want to share? Contact your host, Jesse Peake, at UFOEncountersWorldwide at gmail.com today. UFO Encounters Worldwide would like to announce our brand new home at the UNX Network. Listen to us every Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to hear UFO Encounters Worldwide podcast. That's on the UNX Network. Looking for some new swag? UFO Encounters Worldwide now has an official swag store. You can go to storefrontier.com slash UFO Encounters Worldwide. It'll take you directly to our new swag store where you can get hoodies, sweatpants, t-shirts, and more. Also, we also sell brand new stickers and pins. Just DM me anytime and we'll get you all set up. Again, for the official swag store, that's storefrontier.com slash UFO Encounters Worldwide. Have you or someone you know had a UFO sighting and experienced some kind of electrical malfunction? Well, we have good news. We have started a project called Project BatTech 404. Battery technology and 404 stands for an error code you get with technology. You can report your UFO sighting that experienced electrical malfunctions at battech404researchmembers at gmail.com. You can also check out the official website which explains all of our goals that we're looking to accomplish and how it's going to benefit the UFO community. This is a public project, so we also share the cases we have researched for the project. The website is projectbattech404.wordpress.com. Check it out today. And if you know somebody that has had an encounter, please email us so we can help the research and the data grow. Thank you. All right, welcome back to the second half of episode 84 as we celebrate women in the field with our guest, Kelly Chase. Um, so this past Wednesday, um, UAP UFO history was made again. Um, we had UAP hearings with Dr. Kirkpatrick, and I uh, wanted to get your thoughts on that, uh, how you thought it went, um, if you thought anything good came out of it, um, et cetera, anything? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what the thing that was good that came out of it was that it happened. Yes. Um, I think that maybe the word hearings in some ways uh, sets people up for disappointment because I think that they're thinking of this as a hearing in terms of like a trial of some kind, like this is, <laughs> that, yes. that it's going to be, you know, a really aggressive, like accounting of the situation and a demand for answers when unfortunately we're probably going to need to have many, many more of these little hearings to move things to the place that people really want them to be. You know, a lot of what they were talking about was just, do you have the funding that you need? Is your reporting structure correct? Oh, hey, where's this thing we asked you for? It, a lot of it's just sort of housekeeping and a routine checking in. You know, that's what that subcommittee is for. You know, they is, is to check up on these important things that are under their purview. And, and that's what they were doing. And I think it's important that it happens. 
Um, I think there's also still clearly a lot of um, obfuscation going on and a lot of people dragging their feet. I was really struck by the fact that Kirkpatrick was talking about um, Senator Gillibrand asked him, you know, hey, where's that portal we asked you to create so that whistleblowers can contact you and share their stories? And, you know, he apparently sent it's finished and they sent it to the DOD in December and they've heard for approval and they've heard nothing. So, you know, there's still, I think, a lot of that kind of stuff going on. You still have Kirkpatrick saying that there's absolutely no evidence that this is extraterrestrial, which I think is just a really loaded and probably. Um, if not outright incorrect, at least something that I don't think that anyone has enough information to necessarily say one way or another. Right. So there's a lot of that stuff going on. And I know it's so frustrating for people, but I think just the fact that it's happening is we should take heart that it's happening and that it's moving forward. Oh, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. And I, I think the same thing. Um, I didn't think it was going to be a bombshell with all this information coming out. And I totally agree. Um, it's great that these things are happening because I, I never thought that I would see this in my lifetime, um, let alone, you know, uh, our kids and everything else. You can imagine where that's going to be by that time. Um, so it is. It's great that it's happening. Um, the one thing that that I didn't really like too much is I don't know if you caught it. Um, Dr. Kirkpatrick used the term SEP multiple times. Um, somebody else's problem, <laughs> yes. um, kind of pushing it <laughs> yes. off. And um, I just, you know, where do you think his head is at when he says something like that? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thought that was uh, bold. Yeah, very, <laughs> very bold. That way. Yeah, because in, in a way, it just really gives you the impression that they're not necessarily looking for answers. They're just trying to get things off of their plate. OK, I wanted to make sure um, I wasn't the only one that thought that. <laughs> That's why I asked that question. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, and, and in a certain respect, you know, it's the resol it's the resolution office. Right. So the point is that they're supposed to figure out kind of what bucket these sightings fall into. And then hopefully if they can identify it that far give it to someone else and then in which case it would be in a, in a way someone else's problem but it, i think it is disconcerting for those of us who are really counting on this office to take this seriously and to um be working uh on behalf of the american people not just shoveling you know shuffling paperwork around but like really trying to to make progress um for the american people because people deserve to know i think it is really just disconcerting and honestly kind of disrespectful that he was so flippant about that. Yeah, I definitely thought it was unprofessional as well <clears throat> um, because he is the head of this program and it kind of makes you worry, like, is he doing everything to the fullest extent or is he just trying to scrape and get by? You know what I mean? Um, like the, the videos yeah. he showed, he showed one video and then he showed another one, um, didn't really say that it was extraterrestrial, like you said. Um, it just didn't seem like he like his head's in the right place to be the head of this arrow, you know, in my opinion. What did you think? Do you, do you think he's the right guy for this? No, I mean, I agree with you. I don't I, I think that um, his attitude is questionable and it makes you. But but I also wonder if that's not exactly why they selected him. Right. Um, OK. You know, I don't know that they necessarily wanted someone who was kind of on fire to figure things out. And it's, it's unfortunate. Um it's unfortunate it, it, that it's gone that way. I mean, I, I don't want to go in on him too hard. Like, I'm sure he's a, a nice human, but um, yeah. And I think for something that's important to have somebody who's going to be flippant and joking about it, and just trying to get things off of their plate. I don't think that's, 
I don't think that that's the approach that the American people deserve after being, you know, lied to and manipulated for 80 some years on this topic. Right. Now, there was some good stuff that that did come out of it as well. Um, I did enjoy the fact that he said that he's got two teams working on this. One is an intel group and one is the scientific aspect. Um, and they're kind of working as, a, as, you know, against each other, but with each other at the same time. Did you catch that as well? Yeah, yeah. And that and, and that all sounded great. I actually would have loved for them to talk a little bit more about that and how they're working together. Yeah, absolutely. That would have been hopefully the next hearing we'll, we'll get a little more on that. Um, and what did you think of the two videos that were shown? Um, I thought it was really interesting, you know, and I, I think that it also kind of shows this sort of like weird double speak that's going on still from the government because, you know, you have Kirkpatrick show us in the one case um, a seamless metal orb <laughs> flying <Yeah>. through the <laughs> air with, with no visible means of propulsion. And uh, there's nothing really in the laws of physics that should allow for that to be true. So to both show that and then to also say that, like, we don't have any credible evidence of, you know, (laughs) truly advanced technology, you know, it's uh, or or non-human technology. I I think that that's really questionable. I don't know how you can show a metal sphere flying through the air with no propulsion and then say that we like don't have any real credible evidence of something non-human. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I, that's when he made those those statements after showing the video, I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about here? I mean, nothing that we have can can do what that that object's doing in that video. Um, so it kind of it kind of goes against his statement in a sense, you know, <laughs> and that kind of also exactly. where his head's at as well, in a, in a way. Um, I also uh, I noticed that not a lot of people were there physically for this hearing. Um, did you notice that a lot of the seats were empty? Yeah, that was really disappointing. I think it was only three people that showed up. Yeah, that I know um, from Twitter. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm so, so, so eternally grateful to Senator Gillibrand for the fact that she's really been a dog with a bone with this and just has not let it go. Because um, it seems like many of her colleagues are, you know, not quite as locked in as she is on this one. But for that to be the Emerging Threats subcommittee, I can't imagine that they had something more important to do that day. Yeah, and the one lady even left in the middle of the hearing. <laughs> right? Like, I'm sorry, are you bored? <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah. I didn't, I was like, I didn't know they were allowed to do that once they're in a hearing. I thought they had to stay all the way through, which that was shocking. Absolutely shocking. I was like, this is crazy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I think Gillibrand's doing great. Ernest asked some good questions as well. Um, you know, I think it's all going in a good direction. Um so yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm happy it happened. Um, any other thoughts on it that you're that you want to point out? Um, just I would say that I, I would really discourage people from um, giving in to kind of cynicism and fatalism with this stuff. I think it's really easy, often, to just kind of protect yourself, you know, because you can get into this topic and get so excited and want disclosure so badly, and then when it goes slow or there are setbacks, it can be demoralizing. And I think, you know, it's really easy for people to say, we're not making progress. We're not moving forward. Um, Nothing's happening. It's a nothing burger. (laughs) People love to say that. (laughs) Um, But it's not, you know, it's not. We are making progress and it's going to take a long time. And if you're frustrated, maybe, you know, like Lou Elizondo said, maybe go get a 
pick up a different hobby and check back in in five years. Right. Um, but you know, don't, don't let it get you down and don't listen to the naysayers. This is huge. This is historic. This is progress. Um, and we have a lot of reasons to feel good about what's happening, even if there, we're still seeing a lot of the same issues. You know, it, it, these things are not going to change overnight. The, the United States government is a multi-trillion dollar organization. It does not, it, turning, making it take any kind of a turn is like turning an entire cruise ship. You know, it's slow. Right. And you've got to, you've just got to be patient. Um, now, I now I put the news on um, later that evening, um, and my local news actually did cover it. Did did your local news cover it by any chance? Um, it was lightly covered in a couple different places, but you know, once again, I think what's tough is that because the media hasn't taken it seriously, um, they cover it, but like the little sound bites that they get end up being misleading and misconstrued, and I, I worry that people are even if they are seeing the news that they're not necessarily getting the best coverage, which is unfortunate. Right. Yeah. It, it was short, but I was actually pretty happy with the way they did it here in Philly. Um, they made it, they, they, they had a very serious tone when they talked about it. Cause usually they, they brush it off and laugh about it. As soon as they say UFO, you know, they all start giggling. Um, but they actually did a really good job here in Philly when they talked about it, which I was happy with because, you know, usually it's just making fun of the subject. Um, now, I did notice in, on the other big national news stations, they giggled and laughed and they did all that. So, yeah, I just wanted to mm -hmm. ask you if you've seen your local news and seen if they had covered it or not. Um, yeah, they were, they were a little giggly, the ones I saw, but, you know, that's par for the course, I suppose. Um, so moving forward uh, with disclosure and getting transparency from the government, what are some things that you think that we as a community should be focusing on? to uh, push for transparency and disclosure? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think that number one, I, I don't, I think that people underestimate the power of calling their senators, um, especially the ones who are on these subcommittees who are dealing directly yes. with these hearings. That stuff does make a difference. Yes. You know, hold them accountable. Let them know ahead of time that you expect them to be there and follow up with them and let them know you're disappointed if they're not. You know, thank <laughs> them when they do. Like, I, I think that those things do, do go a long way. Um, the other thing that I think that's so important is that, you know, as you and I sit here and we talk about, you know, like Dr. E.O. Whiteley and her work on the Human Factors Task Force and all of these amazing things where it's so clear that we're way past the point of deciding whether or not we think the UFO phenomenon is real. It's real. And the people who are working at these high levels know that. And they're, they're acting accordingly. But the big issue is that we have trouble getting media coverage for it because as someone who's worked in media for years, the media does not lead. It always follows. Um, it's going to do what they think their audience wants them to do. And so for us to really start to see a shift in the way that the media covers this, we first need a more educated populace and the media is not going to do that. So, you know, a lot of the best things that you can do is just talk to people about it. You know, if, if somebody starts to show a little interest, maybe send them in the direction of your favorite book or your favorite podcast or just let them know some things you've been thinking about or ask them what they find interesting and just start, start those conversations, you know, at the friend level and the family level, and just to get people thinking about it. Because I think until more people start really demanding that the media cover this and demanding that their representatives take this seriously, that we're going to have a hard time 
um, making progress. And that's the best thing that we can do on the outside to help the people on the inside who are really pushing for this change. So um, I know it's been said throughout UFO history and whistleblowers have talked about it, um, but they talk about, you know, the media being infiltrated by three-letter agencies and things like that. Do you believe that? Do you think that they actually control what goes out to the public and what doesn't? You know, that's a really great question. I'm sure that there is, I'm sure that there is some involvement. You know, the ability to get on television and kind of set the parameters of what's real and what's not is very powerful. So I think that it would be naive of us to think um, that that the mainstream media isn't influenced or infiltrated by the government, the intelligence community, et cetera, and that they don't have an interest in what we see. At the same time, I don't know that it's as tightly controlled as people might imagine. I think that what's really powerful about the stigmatization that's been done around this topic is that at a certain point it becomes self-enforcing. Um, you know, if everybody uh, giggles and laughs at UFOs and thinks those people are crazy, then the only kinds of content around UFOs that are going to be created and go to television is going to be stuff that kind of uh, regards the phenomenon from that perspective. And so, you know, that can be, that's a real challenge that we have to, that we have to overcome. And I think that the stigma in and of itself, like I said, becomes self-enforcing and, and the government doesn't necessarily have to enforce that sort of thing as tightly because people are enforcing it themselves because just like the news anchors who laugh because, I mean, why do they laugh? Is it because they think it's funny or is it because they don't want their neighbors to think they take it seriously? That's you know, and question. I think that that's really kind of what we're over trying to overcome here. That's a great question. Never really thought about it that way. Um, so I guess uh, going back to your friends and family, you talked about in the beginning, you know, they kind of just brushed it off when you had your sighting. Um, now that you're two years into this and, and the hearings are happening and you have the information to actually talk to your family about it, do they believe you any more than they did before? Do they take it serious now? Um, anything at all? Anything change? Yeah, actually, I, I've had a really beautiful experience with my family through this, where they've all been extreme. They've all very, always been very supportive of me. Um, I've had a few podcasts before on completely different topics, um, and they've always been very supportive. I think that they were surprised that I went in this direction, but um, they were very open-minded. And, you know, my my mom, who's always sort of been, you know, a non-believer in kind of everything, uh, has really kind of changed her mind and sometimes calls me up and asks me questions and asks me what I think about things. And I think it's, I think it's changed her perspective and it's, I've had, yeah, it's, they've been very supportive and they've been very open-minded. And I think all of them have kind of come around to the idea that, you know, this is something real, even if we don't necessarily know, know its origins, that it is, you know, that we're dealing with the reality here. Uh, that's great. That's great news. My parents were the same way at first. I'm an only child. So they were kind of the same way when I first got into the field. Um, but as I've gotten in and more and more years under, I've, I've come to find out that my family members and friends have actually had sightings and encounters themselves that they never would have told me. Have you experienced that? Yeah. I mean, even just like I didn't believe in UFOs, but it had a UFO experience. Right. Um, <laughs> You know, it's crazy. Uh, we also had a house for just like 18 months when I was a kid that was surely haunted. You could, 
you could hear footsteps in there all the time. Things would move around. All the kids, whoever stayed there, had weird sleepwalking incidents. Like things moved without being touched. Like it was a very strange. And we were all just like, oh, yeah, the house is haunted. And then somehow we all just moved on with our lives. <laughs> and my mom in particular, it had, she had this one that she told me that I thought was really, really cool where she and my dad, when I was young, apparently had, there was a big, like a huge thunderstorm one night and they ended up both having the same dream that they were in the afterlife and that they both existed sort of as this kind of vibrating mass of colors. Um, but that they could recognize each other in that form. And uh, they made a deal in the dream that they, in the afterlife, that they would find each other because now they know what the other person looked like. And they woke up the next morning and realized that they had both had that dream. Wow. Um, so, yeah. So it's like, mom, you're holding out on me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story because, you know, they say that, you know, some people will read your body language and your color. And each person has an, has their own color. So that kind of makes sense in a consciousness realm. That's interesting, you know? And like you said, now they know what to look for. That's a really cool story. I like that. Um, so before you got into the, into the UFO community in general, did you have trouble finding the community? Did you know there was a UFO community? Because before I got in, I had no idea. I didn't know there was a UFO Twitter. I didn't know there was a thing called MUFON. Uh, nothing at all. Um, until I actually seen it on TV one day. Um, how did it work for you? Yeah, I, I didn't really realize either. And I thought I was going to be very, very lonely, especially because a lot of where I started kind of just at the beginning, I didn't even know what to look at or what to read. So I was just reading whatever I could get my hands on. And some of it was great. Some of it was trash. And right. I learned as I went. Yep. Um, but I spent a lot of time on Reddit. And you know, you know what Reddit's like. There are some people <laughs> on there doing some really great work and doing some really high information posts that are great. There's also just a lot of nonsense and fighting. And, you know, if that, if I had found that that was the UFO community, I think that would have been very disappointing for me. Yes. Um, discovering UFO Twitter has been phenomenal. And I've, I've made so many cool connections and continue to make more connections. And I'm getting also... Um, what I didn't realize is that there's a really robust UFO community right here where I live. Um, I live right outside of Cleveland and there's the, um, okay. the North coast UFO group. I forget exactly what they're called. Yeah. Sorry, the, but the um, Northeast uh, UFO phenomenon, aerial phenomenon group or something like that. Right. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, they've I, been active uh, since the fifties and right. there's a huge group here that meets monthly. And so I'm starting to get involved with them as well. And I'll actually be speaking to them um, on May 20th next That's month. great. Cause I just spoke there last week. <laughs> so that's great. I didn't, oh, cool. <laughs> I didn't know you were in Cleveland, Ohio. That's great. Uh, Nathan Vallow. Um, I don't know if you know him. He he's there. He, yeah. Yeah. He's who invited me. He's a great guy. Okay. Yeah. He was last year on my show. He came on and told a story for the first time. So we've been in contact since then and he invited me over. So that's, that's great. <laughs> Small world, right? Um, yeah. You also got the headquarters from MUFON there in, in Ohio as well. So you got a good little uh, state going. <laughs> That's neat. Yeah, absolutely. Small world. Um, so do you, I guess it's we're at the end of the show. Do you want to tell everybody um, where they can find you, where they can get your books at, any social media links that you have? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the easiest place to find all the information about the podcast and all the different ways to contact me is at ufoRabbitHole.com. Um, you can also find me on Twitter. At, my handle is UFO underscore 
uh, rabbit underscore hole. <laughs> um, and my link in bio there also has links to, you know, the website, all the different channels where you can find me. The podcast is uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Um, so it should be pretty easy to find. But yeah, the website's probably the best place. UFORabbitHole.com. Awesome. 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 And I did uh, put your bio with the links that you sent me there. So that'll all be in the episode of the description. So if anybody needs that, you could find that there. Um, and I want to thank you for coming on today, Kelly, and uh, celebrating women in the field. It was great having you on. Um, I got a lot of information out, and I think the, the listeners are going to love it. So uh, thank you for today. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. This has been so fun. I appreciate it. No problem. And uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Uh, make sure you go over to our website and check out the event section. Um, you can also read up on some uh, UFO published articles and UFO history. That's ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. Um, and we will be back next week. Uh, with special guest Beverly Moore, who is a field investigator for MUFON. She's been doing some great work. Um, so until next time, remember to keep your eyes in the sky. Well, that was another amazing episode of our Celebrating Women in the Field with special guest today, Kelly Chase. Uh, we learned a lot of information, and she's doing some great work with her podcast and her book as well. Um, so that was great having her on today and her sharing her information. So thank you for coming on today, Kelly. Uh, next week, we continue with it, our last episode of Celebrating Women in the Field with our special guest, Beverly Moore. Beverly is a field investigator for MUFON, and she's been doing a lot of amazing work out in her state. So we'll get into that and some of the top cases she's investigated. Um, also, don't be sure to check out our sponsor, KMP Expressive Events. If you're looking to hold any kind of event and you're in the tri-state area, Philadelphia, Delaware, New Jersey, and probably a little farther out, um, if you want to hold any kind of event, whether it be a conference, a party, birthday party, um, KMP Expressive Events makes the entire process extremely easy. Um, I've used them, so this is coming from experience. You can check them out on their Facebook page or at our website, ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. And also on our website, you can also check out our event section with new monthly events popping up, including on May 20th is the Philadelphia UFO Exposure Con. Um, our tickets are now on sale for only $65, and that includes the entire day. Buffet dinner, light lunch, seven speakers, Q&A with the speakers, giveaways, 50-50 tickets, um, drinks and refreshments all day, cash bar, merchandise, special guest Dockside Media will be there. Um, so it's going to be a fun day. You can go and get that your tickets on our website. Um, and you can, if you follow me on social media, you'll be able to get them there as well. So uh, thank everybody for tuning in to episode 84 today and our celebration of women in the field. We'll be back next week with another episode. And until then, remember to keep your eyes in the sky.